Hey there, what's up everybody? Welcome to Evoke Greatness. This podcast was created for those of you who, like me, are driven by their curious nature and fascination with the champion mindset. If you have an insatiable hunger for growth and knowledge, or maybe you're just curious on how some of the most successful people have navigated their journey, we share the ups and the downs, the highs and the lows, and all the lessons learned along the way. It doesn't matter what chapter you are on in your story. Maybe you're just getting started, or heck, maybe you're halfway through. What I know is where intention goes, energy flows. It's my most sincere hope that you will hear something in one or maybe many of these episodes that resonates with you and reminds you that you are not in this alone. As we venture into year two, I hope that you find a sense of connection and community when you're here because we all deserve a place where we belong. My name is Sunny, and I am so glad you're here. If you're new, there's a few things you want to know about me. I am a huge book nerd and a wee bit of a control enthusiast with an obsession for motivational coffee cups. I believe that a rising tide raises all ships, and I invite you along in this journey to evoke greatness. Welcome back to another episode of Evoke Greatness. My guest today is Urvashi Bhatnagar, author of The Sustainability Scorecard, Healthcare Executive, and Mission-Driven Strategist. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Let's jump into if you would share your story around how you kind of knew this was the path for you, maybe even early on as you were growing up. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I've been asked this before, and I always struggle to articulate the exact answer. I feel like I always wanted to be involved directly in patient care, directly helping people. That was the intent. I didn't know I'd specifically end up here doing exactly this, but I had an accident when I was very young. I had, I was so fortunate. I had a great care team. I had a really supportive family. I had a wonderful outcome. Everything is fine. But early on, I was exposed to just a wide spectrum that of inputs that are determiners in eventual patient outcomes. And there's so many outside of just your one-on-one interactions with the doctor. And like we've discussed, underutilized services or, you know, just the broader healthcare system that one doesn't immediately think of just because it's not in the forefront in care delivery. So that process really expanded my vision as a child. And I knew I wanted to be in healthcare in some way. I just didn't know how. So I started out with physical therapy because I was one-on-one with patients. I enjoyed it. But as I progressed, I started to understand. um, And as I say in my book, Problems cannot be solved at the same level that they were created. And I think I learned that through my journey. Um, I enjoyed patient care. I love seeing outcomes. I feel so joyful when people recover or they're able to meet their functional goals. Um, Just being part of that is extremely gratifying. But I realized that there were some very serious gaps in our healthcare system. I wanted to be involved in solving them. And that kind of took me on a journey to getting my doctor of PT, um, getting involved in data analytics, MBA, and so forth. So that's kind of how I made my way here. But I absolutely didn't know in the beginning how exactly I wanted to be part of the healthcare ecosystem. 
Yeah. You just know you wanted to have that impact. And I think as we grow up and, and gain experience that helps us better navigate that specific path. Exactly. So well articulated. So you had a uh, kind of a, a formational or foundational experience in India around an internship with with polio treatment in healthcare there. Tell us about what what was that like and how did that kind of frame things for you? Yeah, absolutely. I'm one of the few, I think, that can say I've been involved with polio in some way. Um, there were very, very few active polio cases at the time when I was in my undergrad studies, but um, but I was more involved from the post polio syndrome side and like the so primarily people patients undergo like reconstructive treatment. There's a long like PMNR uh, physical medicine and input uh, rehab component to their treatment. Um, and I actually like interned at in uh, India's largest and leading board for post polio syndrome patients. And our uh, the lead surgeon there, um, Dr. Matthew Verghees, um, was called out by Bill Gates for being a Gates hero for his like extremely progressive, holistic view of treatment protocols. Um, and when I joined this internship, I had no clue what that really meant. Uh, I was just excited to start. But as I went along in my in my studies, um, it sort of opened up my vision to like what we now call social determiners of health, environmental determiners of health and health equity. Um, all of these things were part of his treatment protocol. How can we address barriers to care, access to care for like specific patients or specific population subsets? Um, and data and analytics was not a big thing um, when I was when I was training. So we would like have paper notes that we would collate and try to identify, you know, subsets of populations that were affected by certain conditions. Um, but it, <laughs> it really opened up my eyes to um, what I would say, what in sustainability is called like the triple bottom line approach, perhaps, um, or basically looking at profitability, the social uh, impact and the environmental impact. And let's be clear, healthcare has always been about patients and patient outcomes, but sometimes the way we operate doesn't reflect the values and the intent of our system. So, um, so that really opened my eyes. And I think as I've gone on in my career, I've always looked for a way to bring those elements in uh, such that we can create a more holistic system. Absolutely. And today you really kind of sit at that intersect of data analytics and population health. What do you see are some of the biggest challenges at that intersect? Oh my gosh. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a great question. And I would say one of the Okay, there's a few. One is we need more women in STEM. We absolutely need more women and more diversity because the patients we treat, our, our algorithms, our insights and identifications, they need to reflect the populations that we treat. And that's not going to happen without more women and more diverse populations in you know, analytics firms or consulting firms or healthcare systems that are deploying these strategies, um, that's not going to happen without representation. So I think that's one very big one. The second is that I think we need more clinical providers in management, in strategic roles. 
I've noted this. I, I, I sometimes feel like I felt specifically falling into that intersection between pop health and analytics. I feel like making my way here was a bit accidental. I hadn't planned it. And I was guided here by mentors and people that, you know, knew what was going on in this field and that I'd be a good fit. But clinical providers tend to, of course, impact and have great have great change at their level. Um, but but we need more clinical providers at this level, at the strategy level, really designing population health programs and outcome programs and in-payer organizations talking about social determiners of health and health equity and data-driven approaches to this. Um, so having the ability, I, I see this in myself, because I've served on the front lines of care, uh, and as have you, um, we add so much value at that strategy level because these 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 things are just words at the fifty thousand foot level. Um, we need someone who really understands when this is going to be operationalized. What's it going to look like? What are the gaps we're going to have? Seventy percent or eighty percent of a project's budget is allocated right in the very beginning of the design phase. So. Once you roll something out, you have very little budget left to improve and change things. So we need more clinical providers upfronted into that design phase such that we can create a better program. Right. I agree. I think the lens that we gain in having been on the front lines shapes every decision we make along the way. And that's not even just strategic decision. I think that's also has to do with a lot of like that uh, emotional intelligence. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is really shaped by that. And I've always said that's a unique strength of mine, as I'm sure it is yours, is that I have been there and I have done that. And that adds to the type of leader that I show up as today. And I think that's a really, really distinct point that you made. I'm so glad you mentioned that. So I've heard nurses say in the past, I don't know why I'm calling you. This is just a spidey sense or like to call the doctor to say, this is my nursing spidey sense. When right. you, Yeah. And when you have access to that amount of data, you can, or when you're generating those insights, you can actually start articulating what that spidey sense is. You can start looking down different trend lines and creating different comparisons to understand how can I turn my spidey sense into something that will actually operationalize? Um, is there something worth exploring here? Should there be a pathway for when you don't know what's wrong, but you just think that you've seen enough of this, it doesn't need to be repeated? I'm so glad you mentioned that. Well, and what's interesting is that's difficult to support that from a data perspective, right? Our, our intuition is not something we can necessarily measure. And so yeah. therefore that makes it that, that makes it a bit hard. But you know, would you encourage women leaders to lean into that intuition? Oh, a hundred percent. I've seen some really innovative solutions like computer vision for, for, for predicting falls. I'll go into this a little bit because this is my world as a phys ex-physical therapist yes. that currently still holds a license. But I have a similar spidey sense for that stuff. Like sometimes I just know, and then I go and write my notes and I'm like, well, they weren't technically off balance, but they also weren't, you know. Uh, but when you have a computer vision program that's trained to predict falls, you start noticing 
trends and you say, oh, well, it detected like a little bit of eye rotation and in combination with a little bit of lack of balance in the forefoot or whatever it is, all of a sudden you have articulated what the spidey sense is. And it may not be exactly, you know what, you're not going to be right 100% of the time, but that is the point of preventative care. The hope is that you never fall. So I think these things can, I, I don't, you know, it, it would be hard to capture everything, but sure. yeah, but I think we would make a lot of headway. Yeah, I agree. And being able to ground that in the predictive analytics, I think yeah. is a, that's a beautiful combination, right? Even if you just have this inkling, this spidey sense is feeling that, that can be grounded by something from a data perspective. That's like a, that's a beautiful combination. Absolutely. How do you think that, you know, you talked about needing more women in STEM, needing better representation in STEM. How do we get there? What do we need to do? What kind of shift do we need to make to draw more women, to draw more representation into that specific part of the field? Yeah, we need to train women. We need to hire women. We need to promote women. That is it. It sounds really, really simple, but clearly it's really hard because we haven't gotten there yet. Um, I noticed this all across um, analytics or uh, even in tech broadly, uh, considering I'm in the world now um, or in the tech ecosystem. Um, and I'd say we need more resources specifically tailored towards women. Um, we have certain behavioral traits. Women are always overprepared. We're always focused on making sure that everything is organized, everything is set up. Um, we might get so bogged down in the day-to-day uh, or on our what's on our plate uh, that we may not have our sights on the future to say, you know what, I, I should be learning more about this. I should be going to this conference. I should be investing here. Um, having accommodations or having a culture that is tailored to women in that sense would be extremely beneficial. And then we also need to, we need to support women just from an employee standpoint. Um, having resources available for different life stages such that we don't see attrition at key points in like a like a professional working career life cycle. Um, right. I mean, that recent McKinsey report was telling, right? It, it says exactly what we all know. Um, and we just need to do a better job of actually allocating our investments, whether that's an yeah. investment of time or money or intention. Um, that's exactly what I focus on. Yeah. And I think in this as well, I think mentorship is crucial, yeah. right? And women like yourself who have really succeeded, who have, you know, you're, you're an author, you are greatly represented within your, in your uh, field and women like you to say, Hey, you know, how can I support you? And really having a voice so that others can A, hear your voice, and then B, kind of really create and find their own voice. Absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, hopefully I'm not the last. And there's so many women that are in pop health and doing amazing things. But the, but the hope is that the next generation of leaders and the next generation of promising leaders are going to just leave us all behind and just do incredible things. Yeah. Blow us out of the water. That'd be like right. the biggest, biggest yeah. compliment, right? Yeah. <laughs> so exactly. we have strong shoulders for those, 
yeah, strong shoulders so that those, those behind us can stand on, on ours. Exactly. Support for the Evoke Greatness podcast is brought to you by Manscaped, the best in grooming. Y'all, the holidays are coming up and this would make such a great gift. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for all of your shaving and personal grooming needs. Manscaped recently launched the ultimate hygiene bundle for you men or ladies for that man in your life. It's called the Performance Package. Help him join over 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer just for Evoke Greatness listeners. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code SUNNY20. The performance package has it all. This has the 4.0 lawnmower trimmer, the weed whacker, which is for ear and nose hair, down there deodorant, toner, and even a pair of performance boxer briefs. And a really cool travel bag to hold all the goodies in. Or if you're like me, you steal it and use it for your own stuff. I know my husband is a huge fan of Manscaped. So go to manscaped.com, get 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY20. That's 20% off free shipping at manscaped.com using the code SUNNY20, S-O-N-N-I-E-2-0. Unlock his confidence and always use the right tools for the job with Manscaped. What, you know, you talked about future generations. What do you think we need to do to inspire those future generations when it comes to sustainability? Yeah, I'm a big believer in the art of the possible. Um, and and I'll, uh, I'll, I'll share a personal story about this. So um, when I met my co-author, um, Paul Anastas, for our, our recent book, um, I met him during my business school studies, and I thought his class was fantastic. I thought it was missing a big public health narrative, um, which I made sure I shared with him as my <laughs> feedback in like, in like our break for the first time I ever met him. Um, and he, of course, said, thank you. Of course, we should we should work together. and We should collaborate, which is very kind of him. I, I shared with him my feedback, but I also told him that I understand uh, his principles in theory. A lot of Paul's work, he's known as the father of green chemistry, is hugely impactful at the EPA. A lot of his work has focused on green chemistry. It's very chemical industry focused from my perspective. He's obviously had an impact throughout the ecosystem. He's worked with pharmaceuticals all the way to your, you know, cosmetics firms. I mean, the impact is very wide. But my perception was that I didn't know how this would play out. Like, for example, if I wanted to apply this in a care delivery setting, or if I wanted to apply his principles, um, even in ancillary sectors like digital health or uh, pop health, or even if you consider like a cosmetics firm, um, a healthcare firm, because we're repeatedly exposed to these reproductive toxins every day when we put makeup on, um, I didn't know how to apply it. And Paul actually pointed two firms out to me. One was Air Company and the other was P2 Science. They're both firms that he's involved with from a board perspective, but they're incredible. They're producing inherently sustainable products. One, um, Air Co. Vodka or Air Company um, produces the world's first carbon negative vodka. And they did, they chose vodka and it's actually very competitive on price and it's a luxury, from a luxury market standpoint, it's competitive on price. Um, but the reason that they did that uh, was because they wanted to show the world that it's possible. The, the science can produce anything, but they started with this beverage because they wanted to 
capture our imagination. And what Mm -hmm. they followed up with is the world's first carbon negative um, aviation fuel, uh, which has investments from Virgin Atlantic and Bloom Supersonic and JetBlue. So what we thought was before impossible, at least within our lifetimes, was to actually like split water vapor into its inherent components and then somehow turn it into vodka or turn it into aviation fuel um, has actually been done in the next, in the last five years. Um, and the wow. same, yeah. And the same for um, cosmetics, which uh, there's a company. So Unilever has a subsidiary living proof and uh, there's a press release around um, P2 science providing ingredients for living proof for hair care. And these, and, and these set of products are, again, inherently sustainable. So they're non-toxic to human beings. They're non-toxic to the environment. They're clearly meeting margins because they're, uh, they're supplying to Unilever um, and they're produced on a mass scale. Um, and they're actually really, really good for your hair. Um, they, not many hair care companies can say that they've actually improved the health of, of hair. Hence, I believe that Showing people what is possible, I think, is a very strong driver for fostering further innovation. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love how you frame that, the art of the possible. Yeah. And when you when you reframe how you think about something of, gosh, will we ever see this? You know, I I I know I'm sure many of people have said over the last hundreds of years, right? We'll never see this in our time. Or you know, we I, I remember talking about that like maybe in high school of like one day there's going to be flying cars, maybe not in my lifetime. Yeah. And so I love part of the possible in those, those examples that you just gave. Can you share a couple of things that the average person could do, you know, so they may not go and, and uh, split these water vapors and do these amazing, you know, these big things that, that uh, in the aerospace industry, but like, what's something that the average person could do to contribute I think the average person or the consumer, which we all are consumers, um, has an extremely strong voice. And we have a stronger voice today than we ever did in the past. So um, we vote. I firmly believe we vote with our dollars. And so um, actively avoiding uh, to purchase certain products and channeling our investments, our personal investments or our wallet into other areas, I think is um, telling firms are listening. Um, and it's actually a very strong driver in many industries for like, we know, for example, in cosmetics, um, the whole industry runs on what's the next it chemical. And so that perhaps is not right. We, we should probably be looking more holistically at sets of chemicals that are in combination beneficial for us. But I provide that as an example to say that um, channeling channeling our investments into what we know to be uh, more socially and environmentally responsible firms and products, I think, is important because ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, it's further preventative care for us to reduce our exposure to toxins. Yeah. And I think as we see, as we start to see that shift where we are sifting out a lot of those yeah. things, I think yeah. from a, you know, a longevity perspective, a health perspective, we will see, even if that dial is shifted just a bit, right? The trajectory of shifting it just a hair today means everything 
to our future generations. Exactly. I'd love to ask this question. If you had a magic wand and, you know, and you think about the framing it around the art of the possible, if you had a magic wand, what problem of the world would you solve? Oh, very interesting. I would solve the problem of inherent bias. I think it's widespread and impacts us all individually in different ways every day. Um, But I think it's hugely impactful because, um, so for example, uh, thinking about healthcare and sustainability, right? We hear leaders say, well, it's important to be sustainable. We get it. The, you know, it's no longer about the business case for why that's been made and done and closed, I think. Now firms are racing to make audacious claims and say, well, we can achieve ABC by a certain year, whatever that goal may be. And so, but however, in doing that, when they select the projects or when they select the initiatives that are going to help them achieve those goals, um, I hear a lot of, well, we have a lot of embedded capital. That capital could be human capital or it could be financial, but it, that the change management requires more imagination. Um, and we need to start thinking more broadly about the value that we could see across the financial statement as opposed to only expense management or only, um, uh, you know, an impact on ROI in like a certain market because you could be creating long-term customer value in other markets. You could be generating more revenue. So I think um, I think inherent bias is very important, um, whether you think about it at a DNI perspective or uh, what have you. But I think uh, uh, thinking about healthcare, especially in sustainability, I think that's hugely important. That's powerful. What has been a pivotal lesson that you have learned along the way so far? Oh, wow. Uh I would say I have learned to not take no for an answer. And I would encourage more and more women to do so. And I think the strategy that worked for me was uh, I I tend to be, I, I tend just like every woman peer that I have, I tend to be overprepared. Um, I tend to think that, you know, I always have more to learn and we always have more to learn, but I will be up all night Googling things and trying to make sure that everything is covered. Um, I can speak intelligently about certain solutions. And uh, so I think um, early on in my career, I accepted a lot more no's than I do now. And what helped me is thinking about this in a, from a more intellectual perspective um, I received some great advice earlier on in my career, which was, um, no is the first yes. And now when I hear no, I say, oh, thank God. I'm so glad we got to your no. Tell me why. Because yes. now I can actually start dispelling your myths, um, and start developing solutions that will just take us to a yes. No is not an option. Um, oh. and if it's a personal decision, then I start solutioning for myself. Well, if something is just not good for me or my family, um, then it's a no, of course. Um, but in in other decisions, I I think about what how I could achieve something. Um, what are the constructs and what are the resources that will help me achieve something and make that situation a yes, um, as opposed to passively accepting that something cannot happen or cannot be done. And what are some innovative strategies? 
to addressing wellness, health and wellness, that, that design around that? Yeah, I think there's very compelling evidence in the marketplace <clears throat> that every firm is a healthcare firm because every firm affects our personal wellness. So I think as it relates to the second bottom line, when you think about a triple bottom line, <laughs> sorry, um, I encourage firms to think about, um, you know, the externalities of their actions. There's a lot that can be prevented, whether you're thinking about class action lawsuits or expenses and handling of bio waste or whichever industry you're in. Um, there, there's a very, very compelling case for personal wellness, whether it's from an employee standpoint or like your consumer standpoint, um, uh, for whatever product you're using or whatever product you're creating. So I encourage specifically strategy and innovation teams in firms to consider sustainability as a design constraint versus considering it as something that's owned either by cost accountants or marketing. Um, once you consider it as a design constraint, it becomes something you're innovating for versus something you are um, either investing in or talking about or counting. And kind of shifting over a little bit away from kind of career focus and shifting more kind of personal focus. What is something that you do to regularly invest in your well-being and your self-care and, you know, mental health and all the things we need to do to keep our cups filled up? Oh my gosh. Um, well, right now I have a 17 month old and it's a very hands-on age. So my husband is awesome. And he's been doing a lot more of bedtime and I use that time to kind of decompress. And I, I, you know, always find something small to do that kind of helps me separate from the day. So whether it's, you know, a show or tea or whatever it is on that day. Um, but I find that just investing in myself um, meaningfully for even a short period every day um, is hugely impactful for my overall wellness. That's fantastic. I think that's such an important part that oftentimes, especially as a mom of a younger child or, or you know, when, when you have a younger child, it's that's really hard and you have to work to prioritize it. Yeah. Because it can become, you know, consuming and, uh, and not that it shouldn't be, not that we shouldn't really be a part of that. Uh, it's also healthy, I think, for us to also carve out a little bit of time to make sure that we're maintaining ourselves, right? I think like you can, you can only pour out of a, of a full base, right? And pour into others. Exactly. You know, when you think forward futuristically, what do you see yourself accomplishing that would make you incredibly proud in the next 10 years? Oh my gosh. Something that I'm excited to achieve. I think, um, I think interestingly, I was having this conversation with my mom just this morning and I was telling her that somehow with my son, all of a sudden personal achievements feel far less important to me. And as soon as, um, as soon as my son is like well-fed, and has had like a great nap, I feel like, oh my gosh, um, you know, I've, I've pretty much achieved everything that I could want um, in the day or in life. <laughs> but, um, but jokes apart, I think, um, I think I'm really proud to be part of this broader movement of 
promoting women, hiring women and mentoring women. I think that's going to be one of the most impactful things that we as a society do in the coming years. Um, and the second is I'm looking to get more involved in sustainability and in particular reframing a lot of our sustainability arguments and designing firms or helping firms design products that are more um, benign for the environment and, uh, and human health. It's important that we have more leaders push, uh, push these movements forward. Um, so I'm excited to do more of that. That's amazing. And we definitely need it, right? <laughs> what is some of the best wisdom or advice that was imparted on you by your parents? Oh my gosh. Um, my mom in particular has always told me to um, not take no for an answer, oddly enough. Um, but I think it took me a little while to realize exactly what she meant. Um, and I think what she was referring to was, uh, being mindful and protecting my space and holding up my boundaries and, um, having a great deal of self-worth. Um, and I think it took me time to, truly imbibe that lesson and translate it into all facets of my life or I'm in progress with translating it into all facets of my life. That's something that she's always been really particular about. That's a, a heartwarming sense of wisdom to share with your daughter, right? That's exactly. I'm sure that has, that has probably paved some of the path along the way, especially as things have gotten challenging to be able Absolutely. to tap back into that. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, as we wrap up, Urvashi, I'm so happy to have had you today. I want to share with everybody, where can they find you? Where can they find out more about your book? And want to make sure we leave them right there. Absolutely. So you can find me on LinkedIn, um, Urvashi Butnagar, um, and also on Twitter, where I love talking about all things healthcare and sustainability. Um, uh, also, my book is on Amazon. So just type in the sustainability scorecard. It's available in hardcover, paperback, Kindle, however you like to get your books. Perfect. Well, I will link all of this in the show notes. And thank you so much for just taking time. It's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. I am so grateful you're here, and I hope you'll stick around. If you liked this episode, will you do me a favor? Take a minute and rate and review the podcast, or share it with someone you know may need to hear this message. I love hearing from you all and want you to know that you can leave me a voicemail directly. If you go to my website, evokegreatness.com, and go to the Contact Me tab, you'll just hit that big orange button, and your message comes directly to me. I love and appreciate the feedback and comments that come my way, so keep them coming. In the wise words of Zig Ziglar, you were designed for accomplishment, engineered for success, and endowed with the seeds of greatness. Now go out there and live the life of greatness I know that you deserve. <laughs>